0: Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive
1: of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us.
2: Please welcome Amy Ryan. life story, but I did want to ask you a little bit about um, getting into acting. You were a student at the what's known I guess as the Fame School, the School of High School of Performing Arts. Is that true? Uh, yeah. Uh,
0: PS Fame. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, I went I went to the High School of Performing Arts, which is now called the Guardia, um, for three years and studied theater
2: there. And what got you into that? I mean what I always wonder about people who decide to go into acting, because I've had the same job for twenty five years and I can't imagine being in a life where you are always looking for the next job and dealing with constant rejection and failure along the way to success. So, like, h- how did you decide you wanted to go into this?
0: Well, I didn't know about the constant rejection. What <laughs> you know, made set out at the age of you know 11 in my backyard making plays in the neighborhood? But um, I, I didn't know of the movie at the time. Um, but my mother had heard about the school um, and. Uh, had suggested it to me because I had shown an interest at an early age and gone to a theater camp and you know pretty much annoyed my family imitating them and such being mm-hmm. a pain in the ass. So uh, <laughs> she said you need to go focus this <laughs> energy. So that's she, she's the one who brought my attention to the school.
2: Right, and so so but you worked primarily in, in theater for the first part of your career.
0: I, I started in theater and I I'm very grateful for that because I I would have learned. Or I would have uh, acquired bad habits, I think, had I gone straight to California. But um, And I only started in theater because that was the first job I got. Had I gotten a TV movie of the week, I would have, you know, woohoo! <laughs> I didn't know any better. So I was really appreciative that my first job was, was, uh, was a Neil Simon play. And
2: which which play um, was it? It was
0: Biloxi Blues. And I, t- I toured the country for nine oh, months, wow. a month out of high school.
2: Yeah. Uh, now, you've said that Streetcar Desire was an incredibly imp- I mean, of course, you got a Tony nomination. That, but uh, but you said it was an incredibly important play for you. Uh, just the influence of that that play, and could you talk about that? Uh,
0: I I knew I love that play. It's it's um, pretty obvious why it's it's I think the greatest play, um, American play, and I, I carried that play around in my back pocket for eight years, just saying, one day I want to play Stella, I want to play Stella, and. And then I had met Patricia Clarkson. We were doing an Arthur Miller play in Williamstown, and I said, "Have you ever thought about playing Blanche?" And her eyes lit up. And mm-hmm. we, it's together for eight years. We tried to track the rights, but they were always tied up in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, uh, it was truly just happenstance that uh, Gary Hines acquired the rights to do it down at the Kennedy Center, and Patricia and I did the uh, production there. And then a year later, we, uh, I did it on Broadway with the late
2: Natasha Richardson. Um, were there actresses, either on screen or theater, that you admired a lot or sort of watched and, and so as maybe role models or inspirations?
0: Well, as, as a kid, my biggest influences as a kid was Cal Burnett
2: and The Muppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> I really mean that. <laughs> Mine too, but it didn't get me anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh,
0: and my my mother always said because uh, my beginning part of my career really up until the office was always these heavy dramas, Uncle Vanya, and, right? You know, or, or I was always crying. My friends call me crying Ryan. But um, she said your career always surprised me. I thought for sure you'd be in comedy, but um, I think once I went to school and learned. Uh, a thing or two about a thing or two and that comedy is actually harder. <laughs> yeah. I um, I just, I don't know, I was just drawn to drama and I was drawn to, I had teachers who said, study life, you know, as you take the train in, just study life. If you don't know their story, make it up. And uh, I was just, really just drawn to um, <coughs> just real life, real life. Did you
2: sort of file things away. We, we did a discussion with Michael Kane and he talked, uh, told Number of stories about just observing people, just watching people, and making notes and filing away things that, that he would use later on. So were you consciously doing? doing
0: uh, that? Yeah, I've used a lot of my friends and family <laughs> along the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> None for gone, baby gone. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, there, there. You can't. I can't help but absorb that stuff, even if it's just the way someone holds their head up or um, it. It takes if I if I can take myself out of myself when I'm working, it's easier for me. I'm less self-conscious along the way. So if I can think of someone else, be them, be it a stranger or uh, someone very familiar, it really helps.
2: The first um, role that drew your, you know drew your attention or drew the attention of a big audience, I think, was The Wire, working that series. Now you were um, a fan I guess of The Wire before you were cast in it, right? Were you? Just watching it in the first uh, season? Yeah, before Because you, you entered it, it in the second season. That's
0: that's correct. I watched it in the first season, was a huge fan, and um, then was cast for the second season. And <laughs> my first day on set, I had a scene with Lance Reddick, Lieutenant Daniels, <coughs> something <seven Yeah. seven laughs> <eight>, And uh, <laughs> uh, it was completely sky high with my lines. Mm-hmm. I was so flummoxed being in his presence. He's so steely uh, on that show, such strength. And in life, he's really goofy. And I couldn't marry the two. It just, it threw me. So well, it must crazy. have been
2: weird to be, all of a sudden, be in the world of a show that you have watched and you've entered into that. It's
0: very it's very yeah. off-putting. Um, but that quickly, it quickly fades.
2: Yeah. And, uh, well, let's actually, we'll, we'll see a scene from it, then we can talk a bit more about it. So actually, the scene that we're gonna see is not from season two, but from season five. Um, and it's a scene that's re- really pivotal. Um, I think we'll just let it speak for itself. So I uh, know we'll talk about it afterwards. So let's go with the first clip.
0: <laughs> All the guys at the bar, Jimmy. All the girls. They don't show up at your wake. You're not because they don't like you but because they never knew your last name. A month later, someone tells them, oh, Jimmy died. Jimmy who? Jimmy the cop? Oh, they say, him. And all the people on the job, all the people you spent all those hours in the radio car with, the guys with their feet up on their desk telling stories, who shorted you on the food runs, who signed your overtime slips. In the end, they're not going to be there either. Family, that's it, family. And if you're lucky, one or two friends who are the same as family. That's all the best of us get. Everything else is just.
1: There is no serial killer. There are no murders, I made it all up. They, they were they were shutting us down. They were they were just. It's hard to explain. I don't even know where the anger comes from. I don't know how to make it stop. They fucking task me. They do. We took the money from the bullshit investigation. And we routed it to Lester. Now he's got the cake to take down Marlowe Stanfield. And now that I've done all this, and I. Know. And I like watch myself do it. I can't even stand it. Lester says he's close. Time will pass, and I'll be able to shut this thing down.
0: If you don't go to jail, you had no fucking right. I know. This is my life too.
1: You start to tell the story, you think you're the hero, and then when you get done talking, you... <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> hmm. <clears throat> Could
2: you talk a bit about, about Beattie? It's such, she's such an important character because she is kind of a, a moral compass for, for the audience, and the, the show is so complicated over the five seasons, um, mm-hmm. what happens to all these characters.
0: Um, one thing I love about David's writing and the character he's, he's created for The Wire is not one character is truly the good guy or the bad guy. And yeah. even though Beatty has the most morals of any character right. on that show, perhaps, she, <laughs> yeah, um, so. the first time you, you meet her, she's, she's really not good at her job. She's a port police officer, but she, yet yeah, she's doing her rounds wearing headphones. She's not listening to the radio. She knows it's a dead end job. She's completely checked out. So it's not until she's, you know, um, kind of uh, forced into this investigation later on that she, yeah. she gains this confidence and therefore um, also gains uh, just um, pride in her work for the first time. And and then um, as the seasons went on, she became this uh, love interest for McNulty, who is just the worst man any woman could ever get involved with, <laughs> so, uh, But uh, she, she gets him um, straight and narrow, and I think that's one thing. She doesn't mess when it comes to her family. And,
2: yeah. um, so. I think this episode was written by Dennis Lehane. That's right. Yeah, yeah
0: that's, that's true. Dennis Lehane, who uh, wrote the book for Gone to Be Gone. So.
2: Yeah. I mean, just an amazing. So I'm sure you've been asked this a lot, but just the experience of working The Wire. I mean, I'm one of the people who believe it's the greatest show traumatic series has ever been a television. I with
0: you. I I mean, I'm very proud that they teach the wire at Harvard and Tulane. It's it's um it's definitely beyond entertainment. It's I feel like it's a it's a beautiful look. It's 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 a social study really yeah. of our of our city.
2: And what what was it like being sort of in and out of the show over over the five episodes cuz characters would come in as needed and then disappear for I think long David, time David, long had stretches. A, David had a, um,
0: a formula where every five episodes someone died, whether they were a passerby or a <laughs> beloved character, and we we uh, showed an episode in season two uh, down in New Orleans at the Essence Music Festival for the same idea like a screening audience who were getting a first look, and I don't know in case any of you here haven't seen it, it won't ruin it, but a very beloved character, lead character died, and the reaction was so astounding, I've never experienced this, they were stomping their feet and screaming at the screen, no, no. And they were pissed off at us afterwards. They wanted us to go and reshoot it. They wanted that character <laughs> back, but the beauty of David's writing is story comes first, no matter what. doesn't matter what actor or character has the most hits on the webpage or, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't write
2: and what was it like in terms? I mean, he comes from a journalism background, from a nonfiction background. Made a number of documentaries. What was it like in terms of the work of, of the actor in that series? In terms of preparation and research? And um,
0: yeah. Well, exactly. He you can you can ask anything of him. He has just uh, uh, he's the oracle. <laughs> <really>. <laughs> he, he's deeply intelligent, and um, it was having. Just the dramaturg, the writer, the you know, the right there on set at all times. But um, And he just cares so deeply about that city. So he always said, too, that he goes, no actor will ever be famous for my show. You, you'll, you won't ever have a, a spin-off career or anything like that, what right. maybe typical TV can do for other actors. He said, but I promise you, you'll have work.
2: Right, well, you, you know, did he, you know, get some work. Right. 100, 100 <laughs> 100 of I mean, one of the things that this is... Uh, quite a lot of African-American actors, it's probably the best um, series in terms of showcase for, just in terms of the writing, roles that were available yeah. for all these different mm-hmm. actors. Um, and it led to, it did did um, lead to some work for you, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, actually, I, uh, I was, um, there was a chance I was going to be on for fu- for the remaining four years, right. every day, and at the end of the second year, David said, it's not going to work out that way, but uh, we'll have you peppered in through the last three years. And I was deeply disappointed because so I was having such a great time. But then that led the way for just being available for other jobs. So had he not done that, I wouldn't have got to do Streetcar. wouldn't have got to do, you know, uh, I guess would have been this Gone Baby Gone at yeah. that time as well. Yeah. So change is good.
2: So how did, how did uh, that role, I mean, that's obviously such a pivotal role for your career, but had it gone, maybe gone, come about, and then what was, you know, the next question, of course, is I guess when you read this, either the book or the script for the first time and see the character that you're going to play. Um, like, yeah.
0: My agent, Jason Gutman, who's here tonight, I just started working with him uh, for a few months at that time, and I was going out to LA to try to get a TV series, but the first script he sent me was Gone Maybe Gone, and apparently Ben Affleck already had an actress in mind, and. The casting director said it probably won't happen, but he kept pushing to get me in. And he got me an appointment finally. And uh, then after that first meeting, he, he, he had asked, you know, where was I from, Boston? What town was I from? Oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> that's said, a good sign. Is it I said, Oh, I'm from Queens. <laughs> <laughs> he came around the table and he hugged, hugged me and kissed the top of my head. He said, Great. He said, I, I want you to do.
2: So what have you done to to um, pull that off to get the, to work to do? Because I heard that you did a lot of work on the accent and the voice.
0: Um, I knew, I spent summers in Vermont as a kid, and that Boston accent was nearby, although I'm not yeah. obviously local to Vermont, but um, so I had the gist of it down. And I also think it is, there's a similar attitude yeah. from, uh, that Queens can have, that lower class, working class Queens. So I, I think I had the hip <laughs> um And then when I got to Boston, I never left the, the woman in the movie who plays my friend, Jill Quigg, who's not an actress. She actually broke through security on set one day and asked Ben for a part, <laughs> not that nicely. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I never left her side just to, to hear her, her voice. And also just hanging with the teamsters.
2: What was your response to the to the character? How did you sort of, I mean, certainly not an instantly sympathetic character, to say the least, that you played? Um,
0: I, I relished it. I loved it. I <laughs> loved her. She's a despicable human being, but I, I know enough not to judge a character I'm playing. I don't have to condone them outside my life, their behavior, but if I judge them, I'll be sunk. So it's, starting to ask questions, well, backing up, well, how did she get to this situation, you know, how, was she the same child, did she have the same mother that, you know, I became in the movie, and so uh, I throw a lot of compassion at it first, and the stuff that I can't figure out, I just get out of its way. <coughs> Dennis wrote it for a reason, and that's what needs to be said, and um, so I, I, and then just that language, it's, it's obviously very salty, but it's a it's also very colorful. Um, she has a great imagination, and that's so rare. And as an actor, if you get that... well, she
2: uses language it. to get a reaction. I mean, yeah, she I she has much fun her with weapon. it. Yeah, yeah, She knows she gets arrived. At and it. and then I think another thing that's there, because it's not thought of as a comedy by any means, but there are there is an element of of playfulness or comedy. So I want to sh- uh, show a clip. Um, let's let's do the next clip from Gone Baby Gone. Number two, <laughs> I can <that> you. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> spoiler. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: With Scott Flaherty, didn't you? Uh, you know. You know, the same marks. I was a freshman you we were a senior. You don't remember me? No. Whatever happened to Scott.
0: Uh he stabbed the foreign exchange suit in the chest He got life while well, he's a faggot now. He was kind of a faggot in high
1: school. Oh man. You're
0: terrible. <laughs>
1: he was cute. I oh, gotta wear them tight shorts.
0: Oh, who's a faggot now? You're dating a faggot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so,
1: how did, the, uh, how did the money end up in Chelsea? I thought you, some, you and Ray went home after. You
0: know, we dropped off Amanda and went back to raise. The fucking retarded Ray left his baby rock in my place. You know, right then, I'm like, I'm gonna drop this motherfucker. I don't care if he does got a big dick. So, we went back to the apartment and. Ray was hollering, it's gonna wake up Amanda. She needs her sleep, you know? So, we went back to Ray's. Ray's mother's, whatever. I don't know where that mother went, but she left all her fucking cats in there and it smells like cock.
1: Uh She's never contacted you, never left you a
0: note? No, we didn't hear nothing from Cheese. That's why Ray said, don't say shit. You didn't think it was worth it for your daughter's sake to tell people what happened? Cheese has your kid. Fucking newsroom, what am I gonna do? Call Cheese and be like, ah, hey, you got my daughter? Cause I just ripped you off and I'm just checking. Yeah! Oh, oh my God. Oh, I'm gonna call the cops too and be like, uh, you know, just so you know, I wanna know I run coke and heroin, in case that's irrelevant. All right,
1: calm down, nice. calm down. What makes you think Rez has spent all the money on like?
0: Nigga, please, I hit it. <laughs>
2: Hello. <laughs> 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 it's a great, so do you remember shooting that scene? I wonder how what it's like to shoot in a car like
0: that. Uh, yeah, we did about eight loops around the block <laughs> <laughs> yeah. with with a bunch of local kids as seen in the movie there yelling out similar language to Ben <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I do remember that in between, as the car was getting back round to the starting point, we would run lines again. And actually, um, I owe a lot to Casey in that, because we were playing around in between, and uh, we started improvising a little bit. Uh, actually that moment of when I teased Michelle Monaghan that you're dating a faggot. Right. So, um, and there was just a real playfulness and He said, you should do that. Do that in the scene. I said, No, no, no. I I shouldn't. I should stick to the script. He goes, Do it. I said, Let me ask
2: Ben first. He goes, No. Said, oh, the brother's allowed <laughs> to director. Yeah. He's <laughs> he he gonna do. He's my brother. Don't worry. Um, it was it
0: was very it was very playful
2: with Casey. And and now you've worked with a number of first-time directors. So what was it like working with Ben Affleck in this film? I mean, he's now so establishing himself as a director. Yeah. there's
0: um, Ben said straight up, he said, uh, it may turn out I have I'm gonna, I don't know how to direct. Uh, it may turn out I'm gonna get in trouble for casting my brother, And uh, but I, I do know one thing. I know Boston, and I'm so tired of seeing uh, Boston depicted in film, you know, as Paki Khan, Hamidiad, you know, the whole, just so exaggerated. So um, we also, I think together, there, it felt like, it felt conspiratorial. I knew I had this great part." that a lot of people wanted, and it, it, there was a danger to obviously get it wrong, and then and his, you know, the stakes for him were very high. Um, so there was a real camaraderie to stick together. And then also that character, um, I, I feel like each director, if it's theatre or film, there's always one character that they love more than any other one. And I, I've been on the other side of that, where the director is, you know, more inspired to, mm. to you know, rip apart that character and get yeah. it a deeper, I and mean, clearly, you know, Ben had that with, with this character. Well, yeah, it's
2: so clear that that's what, what people responded to. And, and we all know what happened to the film and, and the response to your performance. But did you have a, a sense that that was going to happen while you were making it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, 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 that's, uh,
0: it's like the furthest thing, right. you know, from my mind, so, at that time. Um, so, it, once that had happened in the Oscars, it's just, you know, it's quite something
2: different. Mm-hmm. But when there, when you're working and it's hot and it's summer, you're a monk in Boston, and it's um, it just, we were just really thinking about that. Yeah. And were the things that you uh, sort of latched onto about about the character that made, I mean, one thing we see in this scene is, is sort of getting a sense of what she's like in high school and, and the choices she's, she's made. It gives some understanding of, of, sort of how she turned out. Yeah. Yeah, The character. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, You know, and I think she's actually, she's actually really smart. You know what she says in the car there. You know, she's got street smarts. She knows how that game is played. Um, But it's true. You know, I don't think people change drastically. You know, maybe the pendulum swings really far, but it always settles back, and it's maybe a two to three degree difference. So, by the end of this film, you know, I know a lot of people are really angry at me. The character, you know, or the character, and uh, couldn't understand why they, they wanted the child to go to Casey so so badly. They wanted <coughs> to go to Morgan Freeman so badly. Yeah. That, you, know, you know, kidnapping is wrong, even if it is Morgan Freeman who gets the baby. And <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the wrong. And Not to say that, you know, Helene is the answer as well, but um, I, I, I hope people would ask the bigger question like, well, how do we help our communities? Clearly, this is a cycle that needs to be broken. Um, so that—that's
2: the way I. I, I thought of that. And could you tell us a little bit about about the the um, response? I mean, what it's like to be in that position um, of Oscar nomination and all that attention and acclaim. Um, I mean, obviously, it had a, a major impact on your, it, on your career. It, it changed my yeah. career.
0: It did, um, and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, it 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 brought. Better writers and better directors um, uh, to my agent's desk for me, and and that's a, a gift I will never take for granted. Um, and then the actual event itself is <laughs> just pure madness, and mm-hmm. um, it's 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 kind of mind boggling. And it's good that it ends that you can't you know it's good. Actually, the day that I was staying at the Four Seasons Hotel for a good chunk of time in L.A. That Miramax very Know, generously paid for, and it was, it was a Cinderella's life, and good morning, Miss Ryan, and welcome back, Miss Ryan. Oh, we're rooting for you, Miss Ryan, and, and would you like some tea, Miss Ryan? And I didn't win. The next day, we're going back home to the airport, and I'm looking at my sheet, and I can't, the car's not there, and I'm afraid to miss the flight, <laughs> and I'm looking, 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 yeah. and the, the valet came over, and she says, oh, let me help. I said, oh, great, thanks, okay, here. He goes, okay, what's your car number? He goes, and what's your name? (laughs) (laughs) And I was, I had just a ting. I was like, oh, just crush. There's Brad Bird getting in a car with his Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) Tilda Swinton's still drinking champagne somewhere else. But uh, I was so grateful for that moment because I said, that's right. What's your name? Go home go to go to your family, go to
2: what you know, go back to New York City because this is all temporary. This doesn't really matter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you seem to like unpredictability in a number of ways. I think with both within the performances, I think you often make surprising choices, unexpected choices, and then also in your career. You certainly, because the next clip we're going to see is, uh, we actually look at The Office. Um, so, uh, but do you have sort of a, uh, an idea in mind about that? Uh, um,
0: well, the Office. Right after Gone Baby Gone, every script, well, the majority of scripts I got were, hey, she's a drug addicted mother of three. She's a drug addicted mother of two. I was like, ah. So we said, you know, if we can make a right angle turn, and by that it was a comedy and wearing a skirt and lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then The Office came around. So um, another okay. show I was a big fan of. And movie, oh, really? Yeah, okay. So, uh, so anyway, I was I jumped at the chance. Yeah, I
2: think in season four. I think we're going to see. So let's do that, uh, even though it's before on the on the menu here. But because the office comes next, but it's before a changeling. So so let's look at the office. Romantic
0: scene. Hello,
1: no, Holly. Whoa. What are you doing? You don't, uh, you don't have to do that. I mean, we have already put together chairs. That's how we buy them, actually.
0: Oh, trying to adjust the lumbar support on Toby's chair, and that made this up-down lever thing not work, and then I took the whole chair apart, and that is the story of me on the floor. It's pretty good, right? I'm going to sell the movie rights. And the sequel... Woman stands at desk and works. So
1: I have no idea how you how you sit like that. Yoga. Sit on the floor and put together a chair. (laughs) Yoda.
0: Curvy metal piece, you will. Sir, so are you in town this weekend?
2: Because I'm not, I'm not. I'm not going in town. What's going out of
0: town. Oh, so you can't make my orgy? Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. Acting!
2: John it. Yeah. Yeah. So, what what is um, it like working on a sitcom like that? I have this image of um, a sitcom, the the creative process being first you have like dozens of writers um, throwing incredibly witty lines around. Of course, the office has so many great comedians on the cast, so I imagine there's also a lot of improvisation as well. Um, so could you tell us what it's uh, really it's like? Actually, <laughs> it's, it's
0: it's heavily scripted, and um, they really. Make you stick to that script, Uh Um, probably at least three takes in, and then everyone—it's kind of an unspoken rule—just waits for Steve to throw throw down the first (laughs) improv, you know, and then it kind of it loosens up. Then, not that he—he's such a generous, uh, lovely man. It's not that he controls a tight ship, but they—they just know he's going to take it to the best place. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, but that's that's, we wait for Steve. Okay, so in
2: that scene, were there imp- moments that you remember being in No, that was, that was actually all scripted. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what were you, um, well, I don't know, I guess in preparing to play Holly, what was your sort of idea, such a delightful, like it's the perfect match for Steve, for one thing. Yeah, it's good for every pot. <laughs> but, uh, um, I, I,
0: again, that was kind of a jarring situation because you walk into that set and it's, oh, it's smaller than it looks, the you mm-hmm. imagine on TV and all um, I, I was actually very nervous because I had, years ago I'd, I had worked on a sitcom that was a terrible experience and I just convinced myself, I, I'm just not funny. And I should go home and do more plays and that's what I did. And it uh, wasn't until the office. So I, I, it was, it was nerve wracking. But I think slowly the more and more they were writing, the more preposterous, um, scenes for her, that actually
2: loosened me up a bit. Yeah. Is there anything about the shooting style? It's shot in a way that, of course, looks very spontaneous a documentary style. That's sort of the, the <laughs> but is is that actually true in terms of uh, what it feels like on the set? Like, is, is there a worse th- immediacy? Two, yeah, yeah, there are
0: two cameramen, and they have the camera up on their shoulders, and they it's all blocked out, but they will walk and move with you, and they have a bit of freedom. They do a bit of, I guess, improvising themselves. It's, if they see something, the interesting, if someone is reacting in a way, they'll quick, mm-hmm. you know, flip and turn and to, to capture that. So, um, but they're, they're very much a part of the cast.
2: I, and as, um, I mean, since, since you've done actually a fair amount of television and film, could you talk at all about the difference in terms of your process?
0: I, I don't think my yeah. process changes from theater to film or yeah. TV, it, except that, uh, it depends on the, rehears- the rehearsal you get. Obviously, sure. you get more in theatre, up to four weeks. And uh, in film, it's very rare to get rehearsal. Uh, television as well. So, uh, television, you'll just cover more pages in a day, up to, you know, maybe seven, eight pages, where film, you'll do three in a day. So, how
2: much time does it take to shoot an episode? I mean, how many, over how many days uh, is an episode uh, the of, of the shy. office yeah. I, I
0: believe they work about seven working days. So, okay. weekends off, yeah. Okay. Um,
2: so we're gonna, uh, another uh, change in tone because we're gonna look at a uh, scene from Changeling um, next. And Clint East I just want to hear, uh, I'm such a fan of Clint Eastwood as a director. I mean, he's uh, one of the few directors who just seems to be getting better with every film. I mean, he's just grown into, I mean, I think starting, I don't know, I mean, there's Mi- uh, Mystic River, at, uh, it's almost like Every film since then has just been, he's sort of gained confidence and strength as a director. It's hard to think of him as unconfident. No, I know, but he's, yeah. he's just get the films get better and better, yeah. so yeah. what was it? Uh, so. Clint,
0: the, no, no actor ever gets to meet Clint in an audition process. You go on videotape with the casting director, and he'll cast you off that tape. So the first time I met Clint was, they knocked on the trailer door and said, they're ready for you on set and I, I walked, we were shooting on <coughs> location, downtown Los Angeles, and I walked the block and a half, and you see your heart's pounding, and I, and I had my head down, and I only picked it up because I was about to bump into someone, and it was, you know, <laughs> Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and uh, we put, hello. <laughs> it's, it's, um, he's, he's just iconic, and the, ch- the challenge there is how do you meet the person not the personality or what you think that person is like uh, but he's so he's actually so warm and um, and funny it's and he kno- I think he knows he understands his stature so he he, he brings you in straight away you were also of
2: course working with another larger life personality a person there with Angelina Jolie, who's just yeah. an, you know such a
0: I, I truly, I, I gasped when I saw her in person, yeah. I truly, a very small but audible gasp, yeah. she really is that luminescent, she is yeah. stunning, and I, I, I found her, the same, very approachable. I, if there's someone of that stature, I usually wait, I wait for their invite, but she was very open, and she spoke a lot about her family and her charity work, and I thought, well, yeah, that's the person who can travel the world.
2: Because there's so much else going on around her all the time, that must yeah. be, be a little surreal well, to deal two, with that. Well, there's two. different things. I yeah. mean, there's there's
0: th- those mega stars that have so much going around and they just shut down and they surround themselves with assistants and they're blackberries. And then there are the ones who actually know how to say hello and have manners. <laughs> and, and she's she's that.
2: Okay, so uh, let's look at a scene from *Changeling*. You did. Uh,
0: The doctors, the staff, they figure that if the police brought you here, there must be a good reason for it. There isn't a good reason for it. I'm perfectly sane, and I will explain that to them. How? The more you try to act sane, the crazier you start to look. If you smile too much, you're delusional, you're stifling hysteria. If you don't smile, you're depressed. If you remain neutral, you're emotionally withdrawn and potentially catatonic. You're giving us a lot of fun? Yeah, yeah, Don't you get it? You're code 12, so am I. We're here for the exact same reasons. We both pissed off the cops. You see that lady there? She's was married to a cop who kept beating her up. Mm-hmm. When she tried to tell somebody about it, he brought her here. Please beat the crap out of her brother. Broke both his arms. And she tried to tell the papers. And you? I uh, work nights. Sure. I mean I work nights. Oh. My clothes. Downtown, yeah. Uh, uh, This one client just kept hitting me and he wouldn't stop, so I filed a complaint and turns out he was a cop. Next thing I know, I'm here. But they they can't do that. Are you kidding? Everybody knows women are fragile. They're all emotions no logic. nothing going on upstairs. Every once in a while they say something that's a little inconvenient, they just go fucking nuts. If we're insane, nobody has to listen to us. I mean, who are you going to believe? Some crazy woman trying to destroy the integrity of the force. Or a police officer. And once they get us in here, we either shut up and we learn to behave, or we don't go home. Or we go home like that.
2: I asked about working with a first-time director. This is somebody who's directed, he's actually directed more films than Scorsese has directed at this point. And he's somebody who started making films in the 50s in that classic days of the studio system. So is there something different about working with the director who's sort of rooted in a very old-fashioned style of filmmaking? Well, uh, his,
0: his style of filmmaking as, is only similar to Sidney Lumet's hmm. in that, in, in my experience, you get maybe one take. Huh. And you rarely get, you know, rehearsal in that. They shoot so fast. These men have happy homes they want to get to. And I've had friends, it didn't happen to me, but I have other friends who work with Clint Eastwood. And I got a call and said, you know, what should I expect? And they said, be ready. Sometimes they do rehearsal for the cameras. Clint has in the past said, great, moving on. And he's, re- he's filmed the rehearsal. So, you really need to be on your toes and really well prepared. And uh, he's he's very soft spoken and, you know, um, he really doesn't say much. I think he. Does he
2: leave you to find a lot of the things? uh, Just some of the little.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think he trusts the actress he casts. Because I asked Angeline, I said, well, surely you must have had, you know, Loads of meetings with him or such, and she said no. She said, <laughs> she said I told him I wanted to wear a wig, and he said, all right. Well, you we'll arrange a screen test, and you know best. You 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 see what you like best, and then um, she too was the first day of shooting that they started talking about the part. Hmm. He just has that trust.
2: And did you like did, did you pick the the wig or the hair, I mean, the, the My <laughs> hair. <laughs> Speaking of
0: hair. Yeah. All right, I'll be really honest. <laughs> okay. uh-huh. That film was it shot... It was a little different tonight. So. Oh my God. Yes. That film was shot um, very close to the Oscar. And I didn't want to cut my hair. It was a bit of vanity. Because I said to the hair department, I said, um, uh, what, 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 will we, you know, what will we do? And she said, well, because it's a period piece, like women have short hair, you know, they will oh. be a bob, but the longer-haired women will we'll have it up in a snoot or something, and mine was really in between. So the woman said, oh, she says, well, why don't we make you like you have a naturally curly head of hair, and if you were out, not locked up, you would have lovely finger waves of the period. I said, great. So I go to the hair and makeup trail in the morning, and my hair was to here. (laughs) But by the time I shot, it turned into an 80s party perm. (laughs) um, I do regret that. (laughs) And it's there forever. (laughs) So uh, that's, that's, (laughs)
2: And, uh, yeah, I I didn't have a scene from uh, the Lumet film, but that's a great performance also. uh, And and I'd love to just hear about working with him, I guess. Did they both, um, Lumet and Eastwood sort of end at 5 o'clock? Is that what you mean by? Uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I I never had lunch uh, working on Changeling. I was sent home every day before lunch. Oh, really? so he shot. But Sydney's different, and we actually used, uh, I know I'm jumping ahead, but Philip Seymour-Hoffman, who directed tonight's film, um, he found it really helpful, we're talking about Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Sydney rehearses every film like a play uh, for two weeks and maps out a theatre space and there's tape on the floor and there's furniture that'll represent what's gonna be on the day, and and then you do a run through at the end of it. And his thinking behind it is we shoot so fast and out of order that when you get to that emotional scene, uh, you'll know what it feels like, what's right. Yeah. Because we've already gone through it. And um, and it all added up in the room. So Phil adopted that for uh, Jack was boating because he's also wearing, you know, two oh, hats okay. in this film. Um, so we, we did that as well.
2: And that must be very rare in a film to have it's, those. Yeah, it's it's Is it a few bad. weeks that you were going to Two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks. Same on Jack was boating. Yeah. Um Green Zone is, um, First of all, a whole, whole different style of filmmaking, and a really interesting um, s- story because it's based—it's obviously based on truth and based on—I uh, mean, thinly veiled account of the New York Times and, and uh, the run-up to the war. So can you talk about that because there you're—you you're, know—you're directly involved in a film that's really portraying—it's um, very specific. It's—it's it's not sort of a general anti-war film.
0: Right. Well, we we. Uh, started shooting Green Zone at the end of the Bush administration, and um, all the characters in the film were obviously yeah. thinly veiled references to real life people, and, but then when we went back for reshoots, uh, I think it was six, seven months later, it was, uh, we were on the eve of the election, and we realized, it, we started the film, there was a lot of finger pointing and preaching to the converted, obviously. But once, you know, we realized, okay, Obama's coming in, now what? And it very much had to have that tone, I think, of, okay, well, we're in it, how do we, yeah. What do we do with this mess, and how do we best clean it up rather than continue this finger pointing? So, uh, was it just interesting in terms of uh, working on a film and a script and how that had shifted with the times? I'd never been involved with anything so current.
2: Right, and then how do you deal with the fact that like people uh, that the film sort of doesn't doesn't directly make a link between Miller, the, the New York Times reporter? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I Millard- yeah.
0: play the reporter, Lori Dane, I, and many times I worked for the Wall Street Journal and worked for the New York Times. and we're trying to, you know, of course, we know who it is, but um, you know, in, in truth, there were many reporters that got it wrong. Yeah. she was the most famous to get it wrong. Um, so. It, it was her. Actually, this one tiny thing. I I saw a photograph of her, and she had this chain around her neck, and clipped to it was one of those disk drives. Mm. And I took that. That was my little wink and nod. And mm. that, so that's the only thing. But other than that, you know, we just said, this has to be this has to be a representation of all the press that got it on.
2: And uh, before we look at this, the scene that we're going to show is not a sort of big. There's no sort of combat action scene. <laughs> but what was it like being in a film that had? Uh, sort of combat scenes and that sort well, of war action?
0: Um, it, I've obviously, I've never been in a war situation, but it it does get your heart pumping, even the fake yeah. situation. We were we were working with all the Matt's, the guys in Matt's unit, Matt Demon's unit, were actual soldiers, some who were going back for their second <coughs> or third tours once we were finished filming. And um, suddenly, you, you just had to look over at them to be snapped out of this. You know Hollywood reality. Yes. And my God, you know this this is their life, and it was uh, it was upsetting. It was it was deeply upsetting. Uh,
2: okay, so let's see the the last clip that we have from Green Zone. And this is a scene with the course with Matt Damon.
1: To you about Magellan.
0: I'm gonna call you right back. What you got?
1: I read your articles. You said an Iraqi WMD source named Magellan met with U.S. officials prior to the war. I need to know about that meeting.
0: Uh, come on, Miller, I can't discuss my sources with you.
1: Well, did you ever meet the guy? You know who he is?
0: Of course I didn't meet him. He's an Iraqi internal, for Christ's sakes.
1: Then how do you know what he's saying is true?
0: Because I made contact through a reliable intermediary.
1: Reliable? Yes. Have you ever even been to any of Magellan's sites? You ever been to Diwania? To Crit?
2: No.
1: There's nothing there. Magellan's intel is bullshit. the intermediary. No, I'm
0: not discussing sources, Miller. Jesus Christ, this is the reason we
1: went to war. Alright, then at least tell me how it happened. How does this happen? How does somebody like you write something that's not true? Tell me. What do you know?
0: I got a phone call one day from a senior official in DC. He says, I've got a story for you, the truth about Saddam's WMD programs. So I go to meet him. He puts the source report in my hands. Magellan's product, the raw intel.
1: But when do you check the story?
0: He was a senior official, for Christ's sakes. He had access to Magellan's debrief all he asked was that I not disclose the location of the meeting.
1: The location?
0: Yes, in case I compromise the source.
1: It was Jordan, wasn't it? The meeting was in Jordan. Yes.
2: tough scene to play because there's so much that's going on. Uh, you know, this is a character who's, like, noticed, she's been caught. There's so much that's going on that's not in the words that you're saying.
0: But, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I tell you, Paul Greengrass works with a lot of uh, improvising. will read the scene in the morning and he'll then go away and rewrite it or, or such. But he'll, once you get into an actual scene, though, he, he ha- asks you to improvise. I don't really want to improvise
1: about WMD, <laughs> it's like, it's one thing to improvise, the
0: subject is love, it's universal, everyone knows what that is, but suddenly, you know, you, to, to pull out, um, to improvise a character's uh, profession that they've been at for 15 years, and as an actor, you've been at for four weeks, is not an easy task, so I, um, and Matt had been working <coughs> the script with Paul for a long time, so, he was quite better schooled at it than I was, but I, I admitted to Paul Greengrass at the end, there, it wasn't that scene in particular, but there were others where he said that was that was you know great, darling, like, great. I said, You didn't catch that? I said, No, I said, I only repeated what Matt said louder. <laughs> <laughs> that was my way because I was swimming for facts and dates and to and you know. But I was oh my god, I'm just gonna be caught out here any minute now, but so yeah, just repeat what Matt said.
2: That
0: was my way of improvising.
2: And was there anything that you did to make yourself feel comfortable playing, playing a journalist? or uh, just a um,
0: We had on that film, we had so many advisors. Um, a lot of them were, a few were journalists who were in uh, Iraq at the time and, and writing about the war before it broke out. Uh, so it was incredible just to turn to them at any moment. Even to say, like, is this pad right? Would I, would I fold it? Would I put it in this pocket? Every, you know, every little detail, I could turn to someone. And Rajiv Chandras Gestrian, who wrote the book, Life in the Emerald City that which our script is loosely based or inspired by, he was there as well. So um, there was just there was great
2: resource all around. Yeah, it's a terrific movie, and I think uh, this you know, when there was a, a time when a number of movies were coming out that dealt with the war that were not doing yeah. as well as so the studios had hoped for um, until the, I guess the success yeah. of the Hurt Locker, which didn't even, even didn't even a make good. a lot of money. Yeah, but I But what was your feeling? I about thought it? I
0: thought for sure they would go see Matt Damon, the yeah. action hero. Um, But no
2: one wants to see the subject matter. And I I don't really understand why. But um, there you have it. Well, it's a a great film, a great piece (laughs) of filmmaking. I want to ask you a little bit about Jack Goes Boating without spoiling any of it for you. But we'll we'll take a a break in a few minutes, and then um, you'll all get to see this wonderful film that you made with Philip. Seymour Hoffman. And, you know, I was going to ask, like, what uh, made you want to do this, aside from the fact that you you are working with one of the greatest directors in the world, with a terrific script, with a starring role? You know, aside from that, is there anything yeah. that, you, that, <laughs> that drew you to it? <laughs> what else did I need after yeah.
0: that? Right. Um, no, yeah, it was, uh, I'd known Philip um, from New York. You yeah. know, uh, we'd, we'd done a couple of movies together and did a uh, Capote, and, which we didn't even talk about. Capote to. and yeah. The Devil Knows You're Dead and then we also did an evening of one act plays with the drama yeah. department off Broadway years and years ago. So um, uh, and and he is who he is. I think he's the greatest actor of uh, my generation. So um, uh, after Love It. Yeah, <laughs> after Love It. So the it's the script is beautiful. There are four richly drawn characters and uh, and it's shot and set in New York City. And uh, it's just it's just a beautiful love story.
2: Uh, and what did, why did he um, decide to, I mean it's a wonderful piece of directing too, and this is his first film as a director, and presumably he'll do more, but what, what made him decide on this?
0: Um, John Ortiz, who also stars in the film, um, it happens to be Phil's best friend. They both founded the Labyrinth Theatre Company, and John is a real instigator in the best sense. So they were sitting around talking about it one day, and he said, you should direct it. And Phil, no, 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 no. But he had planted that seed, and suddenly Phil just couldn't get it out of his head. So um, Phil, he he said he started dreaming about it in ways in which, because it had started as a play, he started envisioning it cinematically, and he couldn't stop thinking about it. So it was really just John simply demanding. Do it. <laughs> That's how it came about.
2: Um, and I do want to just ask you a little bit about what else you're you doing, because I know you've ha- you've um, shot episodes of In Treatment.
0: Oh yeah, um, The HBO uh, series. third season of um, Treatment yeah.
2: by Gabriel Burns, New Therapist, um, <laughs> which will air this fall. And then great. I'm going to go back to The Office for P. Moore. Oh great. So, um. <laughs> mix, yeah, mixing it up. Yeah, mixing it up. Yeah. I try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well we can't wait to see all your other films and plays and TV shows and whatever you do. Uh, thanks so much. We're going to take uh, just a, a very brief break before we start the film. But um, it's it's a really beautiful piece of work. So um, thanks for being with us here
1: tonight. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by
0: generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.